Uh, let's go uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Uh, we've been hanging out there uh, tonight. Uh, so in December, after 30 years of trying, I finally convinced a woman to marry me. Um, which, so... Dudes, if you feel like I'm getting to that point where the window is getting small, there's still hope, I just want you to know, because I'm not even rich or good looking, right? Like, I'm, I'm a, a pale 30-year-old with a receding hairline, so there is hope for you. Think, that's weird, um, but thank you. Uh, so anyway, so got engaged, that's exciting, so now we're in the middle of wedding planning stuff, um, which is also awesome, um, but one of the things that I get to do right now is I get to plan the honeymoon which is overwhelming. That's also weird. I don't really know how to respond to that, but thank you. Um, but uh, I, I'm so overwhelmed by what's happening, right? Because there's all these different destinations and resorts and all these things. And so I decided uh, I should probably ask my married friends to say, hey, how, how do you plan a honeymoon? Where do you go? What do you do? All those things. And every person that I've asked has said the same thing. They say, you have to figure out what you want. You have to figure out what you want because... Uh, every resort, every destination is different. Some people want a place that has amazing food. Some people want amazing excursions. Some people want just a really like, clean beach that's in the middle of nowhere where no one can find them. They want uh, the mountains. They want Europe. Like, it, it's really up to you and what you want out of your honeymoon. And so I, I heard that, and I was like, yeah, you're right. This is what I want, right? And so all of a sudden now I'm calling resorts, and it's kind of this kind of competition thing where I'm like, all right, cool, so this resort down the road has this thing. What can you offer me, right? And so now I'm, I'm making all, all these resorts kind of fight to kind of win me over because it's like, all right, what can you do for me, right? I know what I want, so how can you make that happen, right? And it kind of, I've kind of fallen into this consumeristic mentality when it comes to finding this uh, resort. Now, that's not a horrible way to approach finding a resort, but it is a horrible way to approach finding a church. And I bring that up because I think oftentimes in our culture, we tend to approach church the same way that we would approach something like finding a resort, right? Where we've developed this idea that this isn't about me. This is about me and what I want. And so we approach a church and our mentality is, what can you offer me? What can you do for me, this is what I want. How can you make that happen? So what's your preaching like? What's your worship like? What's your programmatic stuff like? What's your community like? How cute are the guys? How cute are the girls? What's the ratio? Because I'm trying to get married, and I don't want any competition, right? So like, like you know, how do we navigate that? So all, all of a sudden, there's, there's all these questions of what can you do for me? What can you offer me? And we kind of fall into this kind of Christian consumerism, right? Now, when, when that happens... We, we miss out on a very important truth about the church. And that truth is the fact that the church is not an institution that exists to serve you. The church is a gathering of believers that exists to serve each other. Right? The church is not an institution that exists to serve you and I. It's, it's the gathering of believers that exists to serve each other. Right? Now, let me clarify something. Um, or organizationally, right? Um, this ministry here, like we, we care deeply about serve, serving you and we want to serve you. Like we, we want to serve you. We want to see you grow. In fact, we've created um, ministries and programs and budget lines and, and, and all these things to, to help you grow and to pour out and to serve you because that's what we want to do, right? The point, though, is that those are blessings or at least designed to be blessings and not entitlements, 
right? Because if, if, if tomorrow there was some crazy economic crash and Christ Chapel lost all of its money, all of its funds, all of its resources, right? And we had to cut every program that the church has, the church would still exist. Because the church isn't an institution that exists to serve you. The church is the gathering of believers that exist to serve each other, right? But when we forget that, when, when we lose sight of that's what the church is, then what happens is we fall into this Christian consumerism where we just show up and we say, hey, I'm here to, to be served rather than to serve, right? And when that happens, when, when we develop a, a posture of, um, I'm not here to serve, but I'm here to be served, what happens is that we are either frustrated or entitled or both. And that's not a really fun way to engage church, right? So for, for me, my hope for you guys is I don't want your church experience to be marked by frustration and entitlement. And the good news is it doesn't have to be, right? And so tonight, we're going to talk about how we get to a place where, where we walk into the, this, this gathering, this ecclesia that we've been talking about, and, and our posture is not one of what can you do for me, how can you serve me, how can you meet all of my needs, but our posture is one of saying, hey, this is a gathering of believers, and I want to show up with a, a posture that says, hey, I'm here to serve. How can I meet the needs of my brothers and my sisters in this room rather than how can I be served? And the ironic thing is that when we are a collective gathering of um, believers, this family that seeks to meet each other's needs, our own needs get met in the process. Because when everyone is collectively trying to meet the needs of each other, then your needs get met as it is, right? So um, the question is, how do we do that, right? That's, that's a, big, a big task. Um, so what I want us to do tonight specifically is I want to use the early church as a case study. I want us to read this verse in Acts 2. And I want us to look at the very first gathering, the very first ecclesia, to, to figure out some, some characteristics of how they adopted this culture of, um, I'm not here to be served, but I'm here to serve, and, um, and we'll apply this and see how this um, applies to us. So um, let's go Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says this, and they, meaning the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right, so there's, there's a lot here. Right? This is a, a, a beautiful passage. That there's so much to, to unpack, but I want to really focus in on, on two specific characteristics of the early church that I think are, are really, really intriguing. Right? And the first, first is this. It's, is that this early church, this, early, this first ecclesia, this first gathering was marked by um, this open-handedness. It was being marked by being extremely open-handed, and we see this in verse 44. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They, the, the, the believers were together, and they had all things in common. Now, this is a, a concept that is foreign to our American church because we grew up in America where the ideology is you get what you want by taking it, right? If you want something, you work for it. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you take what you want. You go and you get yours, right? And once you get it, you fight like crazy to keep it, right? Because no one's gonna give you a handout. You get up and you work and you make it happen for yourself, right? 
And so, so maybe you even read this verse and you think, this kind of sounds like some kind of Marxist, socialist, like, garbage right here, that they had all things in common. Like, what does that even mean, right? Well, this, this isn't a verse that promotes any sort of kind of socialistic mentality. This is a verse that promotes this open-handedness. That, that, that they had things, they had possessions, they had all these things, but they had this posture that was just open-handed, where their posture as a community was saying, hey, what's mine is yours, right? Haley and I joke that when we get married, what's mine is hers and what's hers is still hers, um, but that's not what's going on in this passage, right? This, this idea is like, no, no, what's mine is yours, so whatever you want, whatever I have that can bless you, that can benefit you, I, like, I want you to have access to it because we are this family that, that rally around the gospel. We have all things in common. Right? There, there's this open-handedness that we have with our stuff. Now, I'll admit, for a long time, I had no category or concept of what this would even look like. I mean, how do you practically have, like, stuff, but then you have it all in common? Like, who kind of claims it? Like, what does that even mean? Um, but then I went on, on a trip to the Dominican, and um, I was walking through, through this village, and for the first time in my life, this idea actually clicked. Um, we were there, and we were uh, walking down the street with the local pastor there, and we noticed that there were chickens just running everywhere. I mean, the chickens just own the streets. And so we're walking around, and we're like kind of stepping on chickens and stuff like that. And so we, we ask him, and we say, hey, um, who do all of these chickens belong to? And he said, oh, they belong to the residents of the neighborhood. And in our very American way, we, we ask him, we say, well, how, how do you know which chicken is yours? Like there's, like, there's not fences, there's not chicken coops. Like, like, who, like how, how do you keep track of your chickens to make sure that someone else doesn't steal your chicken? And he kind of stopped, and he just smiled at us, and he said, that's, that's just not how it works here. And we're like, all right, well, then explain that to me. And he said, you see, this neighborhood is a community. It's a family, right? And they're, they're truly neighbors in, in the biblical sense of what it means to be a neighbor, right? And so what happens is that everyone has chickens, and they own their chickens, but everyone in the neighborhood makes sure that the people on their left and their right are going to eat. So if you're hungry, you just grab a chicken and you cook it because everyone knows that, like, if I don't have food tonight, my neighbor's going to feed me. Or if I have food, food tonight, I'm going to make sure that the people on my left and right have enough to eat. He said, so no one really keeps track of their chickens because everyone knows that everyone's going to eat. Everyone's going to be taken care of because they serve each other. They take care of each other. They have all things in common. Right? And it was this really beautiful picture of this community that, yeah, they had possessions, they had things, but, but they had this love for each other and this desire to serve each other and this open-handedness despite the fact that they didn't have a lot, right? If, like, all I had to my name were three or four chickens, personally, I would, I would cling to those chickens, right? But they said, yeah, if you need food, take it because I know that you're going to make sure that I have something to eat. It's this beautiful picture, and so what we see here in this um, passage is that the, the early church had this posture of, hey, what's mine is yours. I'm open-handed with whatever I have. I want to serve you and with, with whatever resources that I have, right? So, so, so first off, they're marked by this open-handedness. But second, they're marked by um, a, a love for each other that is sacrificial, that is sacrificial, and we see this in verse 45. It says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Catch the gravity of what's actually being said there. 
that they are selling their possessions and their belongings and giving the money away to anyone in the body that had need. Now, um, when I first read, read that, I had a hard, hard time understanding the difference between possessions and belongings. That sounds like the same word, right? Um, but I did a little word, word study, and the word for belongings is a word that just means kind of stuff, right? But the word for possessions is a Greek word that means property. So what it's saying here is that, is that this is the people that's, that's not just like digging through their closet to find stuff that they haven't used in, in years and saying, oh yeah, I can make 20 bucks off of this. No, like they're selling property. They're selling land. They're selling houses. They're, they're selling expensive, valuable things, not to pocket it, not to profit, not to um, invest in their savings account to send their kids to college. No, they are selling these valuable things and then saying, hey, here you go. Because there are people in the community that are hurting, that have need. And so what they're doing is they are coming together and they're being sacrificial. Now, I could be alone in my selfishness, but when I read this, I get really convicted because this is not how I tend to function, right? Like if there's someone in my community that, that says, hey, man, things are really, really hard and, and um, financially things are just rough and I'm in debt and, man, I just feel really you know, strapped, I don't really know. My kind of instinctual reaction is to say, oh, man, I'm going to pray for you. Man, I'm going to pray that God provides for you. Man, let's... Let's, let's pray that, that, that the Lord raises up somebody to, to, to provide for you. And then I go home, and I think, man, that's, God, that's so hard. That's so sad. Like, I can't even imagine if I was in that spot. And, man, I wonder if the church has, like, a budget line for stuff like that. I wonder if the church can step in. I wonder if the, the church as an organization can step in and kind of help that person out. And so, you know what, I'm going to keep praying that God raises up somebody to help this brother out, to help this sis, sister out. Because my initial resp response isn't, what can I do? How can I help? How, how can I rally my fellow brothers and sisters? How can I rally this community to, to take care of each other? My instinctual reaction is, is to say, yeah, let's see what someone else can do. Let's find another organization that can step in and, and handle this. And, and some of that's because I, I don't even know where to start, right? It's like, man, that's, that's such, such a huge need. I don't even know what to do except for pray, right? But oftentimes... The reason my posture looks like that is because I'm selfish. I don't want to sacrifice. I'm not looking to, to sell things. I'm not looking to get rid of valuable things to help a brother in need. I'm, I'm like, all right, Lord, can you send somebody else to go help my brother out, right? But just imagine for a second, and this was a community that was marked by this open-handedness and also this sacrifice, right? That, that if, like, let's say that your um, home, home group is, like, meeting and so. Somebody says, hey, I just need, need prayer because I'm like $1,000 in debt on this medical bill, and I, like, I, I just don't have the cash, and, and I'm just super stressed, and I just don't know where, where it's going to come from. What if our initial reaction was, was to say $1,000? Dude, that's chump change, right? Like, if, if 10 of us scrounged up $100 a piece, you'd be golden, right? Like, what can I sell? What, what can I cut out of my budget? What can I go without this month to, to help you experience the, the body of Christ rallying around you to take care of each other's needs, right? It'd be this incredible thing, and, it's, you know, and maybe it's not even finances. Maybe it's just something as simple as time, right? I think for a lot of us, it's actually easier to give away money than it is to give away time because we think, man, a hundred bucks is okay, but man, an hour, I don't have that, right? Maybe this costly sacrifice for us is just giving someone an afternoon, giving someone an hour of your time, even if it's just to sit 
and be present. Just to love somebody well when you got a ton of stuff on your plate. I don't know what that is for you, but, but when this happens, when our community is marked by this, this crazy sacrificial love, like the world takes notice because it's not normal, right? It's not normal at all. So let me give you an example. There's a couple of guys in our community. Um, guys, can we get this, this photo? So this is a CNN headline um, of uh, our boys Danny Colzo and Graham McMillan. So if you're not familiar with the story, um, our boy Danny, um, in the summer of 2016, uh, desperately needed a kidney. And after many attempts to try and find a donor and stuff like that, like just kept falling through. And then Graham realized, hey, I'm, I'm a perfect match. So Graham decided, I'm going to give Danny a kidney. And it made CNN. Like national news, like, like actually there were places overseas that, that picked up this story. Like internationally, people are raving about this. And also my favorite thing about this headline is like the quotes between act of love. Like giving a kidney, like I don't know what else is considered an act of love, right? Like you just gave a body part away. Like that's loving if you ask me. But anyway, but people like saw, saw this and they freaked out. And like, and the most amazing thing about this story is that every single time that they got interviewed, people ask them why. Say, Graham, why would you give a kidney away, bro? Like, that's so costly. That's so sacrificial. What would possess you to give literally a part of yourself away? And every time they got to share the gospel, they got got to say, man, we're, we're brothers. That's what brothers do. We are brothers because we have this God who gave everything for us. I mean, so we give everything for each other just because that's what our Father does. That's, that's what our God does. That's, that's the model that he left for us. And people go, wow, that's amazing. And again, I'm just dreaming out loud, but I, I can't help but imagine what this community would look like if, if all of a sudden our posture was, man, I want to be selfless and sacrificial. I want to be selfless. I want to be sacrificial. And I want this community to be a place that rallies around each other. Now, here's the question. Maybe you read this and you think, man, that sounds great. That sounds like some cool utopian idea that we're all serving each other and loving each other and we have all things in common. But man, this is hard to pull off, is it not? And I think especially if we have come to a place where we have functioned for a long time in this idea that, uh, man, church is a place where I'm going to get fed, I'm going to get served, like this is for me, what can you offer me? Then for us to just switch on a dime and say, okay, now I'm going to walk into the room. And this isn't about me getting served. This is about me pouring out, me serving. That's a drastic change, right? And that might take some time. And so the question for us is, if, if, if this is how the, the very first gathering worked, if their um, first kind of inclination of how the church worked was not to walk in the room and say, hey, how can you serve me? But, but rather, how can I meet your needs? We have to figure out what like, possessed these people to function like this. Like, out of all the ways that the early church could have chosen to function, what possessed them to say, we're going to function in a selfless, sacrificial way? And the reason is because selfless sacrifice is the only model that Jesus left for his people. Selfless sacrifice is the only model that Jesus left for his people. And here's what I mean. When Jesus left when, when, when he ascended and he went to go sit at the right hand of God to intercede for us, um, the people were left there saying, all right, what now? How do we do this? How, how do we navigate this whole thing called church? How do we navigate this gathering? What does this gathering look like? 
Now, remember, this wasn't an establishment, right? This was a movement. This was a, a, a group of people who had seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. And so now the church was um, not just a bunch of people who, like, kind of did some trendy cultural thing. But it was people who said, Jesus is alive. I saw it with my eyes. And we have to tell everybody we know about it, right? That's what the church was. It was this movement of people who went to go tell others about the resurrection of Christ. And when they said, how do we navigate this gathering? How do we do that? They said, well, let's look at what Jesus left us with. What did he model for us? And the only thing that they could think of, the only thing that Jesus modeled for them was selfless sacrifice. Because right? that's what he did. Jesus came and he served people. He laid down his life for us. And so automatically they, they say, if we follow Christ, then we want to look like him. And the only thing that we know to do at this point is just to lay down our lives for people. The only thing we know how to do is not to be served, but to serve, because that's what Jesus did, right? And so Paul actually explains this in such a, a beautiful way in uh, Philippians 2. Let me read this to you. It'll be up on the screen as well. But in verse, verse 3, he says, he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. To have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I love what Paul's doing here. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, hey, don't forget the model that Jesus left for us. Don't, don't lose sight of it. Don't forget. Don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant. Don't, don't look to your own interest. Stop looking inward. Look outward, because that's what Jesus did. Like, remember who our model is, how, how Jesus was, was God. He, he is God. Right, that as Jesus was reigning on his throne over his creation, he didn't have to do anything, but he didn't count equality with God something that he was entitled to. It wasn't something that he refused to hold on to. He didn't grasp it with a tight fist, but he humbled himself and he came to us and he lived among us. He walked among us and he knows our pain, he knows what we experience, and then he served us by laying down his life for us to reconcile the relationship that our own sin broke. So don't lose, don't forget that. Paul is, is, is pleading with the church to say, hey, this is our model. This is how we function. We function out of a response to the gospel. But our whole motivation is based on the fact that we have a God who didn't come to be served. That, God, that the God of the universe didn't come to be served. He came to serve to pour out his life and to die for us. So, I mean, that's what we're supposed to look like. But when it comes to us as a church, as a, a gathering, as a body of believers, and we're supposed to be people who look like Christ. And so the question we'll have to answer tonight is this. It's, what are you here for? Are you here to be served or are you here, are you here to serve? Are you here to serve or are you here to be served? Because the way that Scripture lays it out for us is that our role in this body is not to walk in the room and say, hey, this is what I want. How can you make that happen? Our posture should be, man, how can I serve? How can I be Christ to you? How can I meet the needs of the people in this room? What can I do? Right? Now, 
maybe you hear, hear that and you think, you know, to be honest, I've never thought about this. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't kind of know where I kind of land in that spectrum of stuff. I don't, I mean, I don't really feel like I'm here to be served, but maybe I am, and I don't know. It's a great, great question. And I think for us, it's so easy to kind of subtly slip back and forth into this posture because it's so prevalent. It's so easy to make this thing about us. And so as we close, I want to lay out just kind of three diagnostic questions for us. Three questions that are um, designed to um, just help us kind of look, look at our hearts and say, all right, how am I doing? Am, am, am I here to serve and to pour out, or am I here to be, be served? And so here's the first one. The first question I would ask you is, are you consistently frustrated with the church as an organization because they're not doing enough for you? Are you consistently frustrated with the church as an organization because they're not doing enough for you? And here's but I mean. We, we see this play out. A lot, but let me get um, specific. Maybe you've um, been coming around for a little bit, and, um, and you feel like, I haven't, I haven't really quite found my community yet. I haven't really quite found like, my, my crew. Um, man, and to be honest, I'm frustrated. I feel like I would have community if the church would be faster at getting me involved in a group. I feel like um, I would be uh, happier if the church had more events that would kind of help facilitate, you know, interactions and stuff like that. Man, if the church would step up its game, then I would have more community. Maybe that's where you are and you find yourself frustrated because you feel like the church as an organization isn't doing what it should to help facilitate community. If that's you, one, I get that. I feel that. That's a, that's a tension. And, and know that our heart and our desire is to provide as much community as we possibly can. And we long to facilitate that the best we can. But um, if I could be honest, the church's job is not to find you friends. It's not the church's job to find you friends. We, we, we want to. We, we long that. We long for you to have community. But if you're coming here and you're frustrated with an organization because you don't have the community that you thought that you would at this point or the community that you desire, maybe you're coming in here and, and you want to be served. Maybe you're looking to be served more than you're looking to serve and pour out. Now, on the flip side, let me talk to those, those, of, those of us in the room who are connected. Um, because this is a side note, so let me just kind of do a soapbox for a second, um, if that's okay. Oh, well, I'm going to do it anyway because I have a microphone. Um, but that's a problem, right? Like, we should be heartbroken, over people who, who walk in a room as big as this and feel alone or feel on the outside or feel like, man, I don't, I don't really have a career, I don't really have community, right? That should break our hearts as believers and as members of this body, right? And the way that we fix that, like that should not be okay with us. And the way that we fix that specific problem is not hiring more staff. It's not um, getting a team that can better facilitate stuff like that. It's us as those who are already connected, developing a posture that says, I remember that, and that sucks. And I'm going to step outside my comfort zone to help bring people in. I'm going to step outside um, what, what I want, what I desire, and, and, and I'm going to bring people in. It, it, it looks like us saying, man, my home group is in a groove. God, man, we are humming along. Everything is good. I mean, we are in a groove. And it might mess up the mojo of our group a little bit if we invite somebody in. But I remember when I showed up. And I remember how hard it was to make friends. I remember how alone I felt and how that one person invited me in. So you know what? I'm going to risk the mojo of our group to invite somebody in. 
I'm going to risk what we have to, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to be servant-hearted, to be sacrificial. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give up and sacrifice my comfort level for this person. It looks like us being outside of the tailgate and hanging with like, all of our friends and saying, man, I love our crew. I love what's going on here, but that person over there has a deer in the headlights look, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to step out of my comfort zone, and I'm going to sacrifice this 15 minutes and invite somebody in to hang out, invite them into the community. So I want to be, be clear that, I mean, on the flip side, we have this amazing opportunity as a community to step in and to say, hey, man, what can I give up? What can I be open-handed with? Is that my community? Is that my comfort zone? What is that? Because there should be moments in time when we step out and we serve in that way. But, sorry, that's side note. But first, first question, are, if you are consistently frustrated with the church as an or- organization because they're not doing enough, you, you might be in a place where you're expected to be served and you might want to check your heart. But here's the second question. The second question, do you tend to bounce from church to church trying to find the right fit? Do you tend to bounce from church to church trying to find the right fit? And here's why I ask that. One of the, um, the ways that our kind of Christian consumerism plays out is that we treat the church like this kind of long buffet line. And so we go to one, one place on Sundays because the preaching is awesome. We go to another midweek thing because the worship is awesome. And we get in this small group because their community is awesome. And we go with them on this mission trip because they're going to a really sexy destination. And so we go from all these different things, and we're never actually committed. We're not actually plugged into one place because what we're trying to do is find some place that can give us everything that we want, everything that we desire. Right? And so what happens is that when you try to commit to one gathering, one ecclesia, one family, what tends to happen is that you're easily either frustrated or disillusioned because it doesn't fit you. It doesn't provide everything that, that you want. And the reality is it's nearly impossible to find one church that can give you everything that you want, everything that you desire. Right? But when we approach it as, man, I'm not here just to consume I'm not here just to get this and to get that and to get that, but I'm here to serve and pour out. Man, it's so much easier to find a place where, where you fit because there's not a church in the world that can't use you, right? And so if you tend to just bounce from church to church and you're here, man, I, like, I'm so glad that you're here, but I would encourage you, find a place and plug in, whether that's here or somewhere else. Like, find a place where you can be known and be under the authority of pastors who, who love you and want to walk with you. But if you tend to, to bounce from church to church trying to find the thing that, that, that satisfies you or, or makes you happy, then odds are you're, you're pro- probably in a place where you're longing to be served ra- rather than to serve. And lastly, do you consistently complain about not getting fed? Do you consistently complain about not getting fed? Ben and I have the privilege every week to stand either on this stage or the artifact stage, and we get to open the word of God, and we get to proclaim truth. It's the greatest privilege in the world. And our desire as communicators and as pastors is that we can open the word of God, and when we walk off stage, when you leave the room, that you are in awe and in wonder of our God. That you marvel at the grace and the kindness and the compassion of a God who wouldn't leave you in your sin, but send his son to take um, your penalty for you that you marvel at the word of God and how um, alive it is and active and how it um, moves us and convicts us. Like, like our hope is that you leave and you are just enthralled by the grace of our God. That's our hope every single week. But here's the thing. 
we're dudes. And although we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, we're not the Holy Spirit. And we can only do so much. We have off days. And we have days when we're stressed and we got all this other stuff going on. And so what happens is that if you come into this room, despite the fact that we desperately, desperately, desperately want you to get fed, if you walk into this room and your only source of spiritual nutrition is a 30-minute sermon once, once a week, you are going to be severely malnourished. Because Ben or I, or John Piper, or Keller, or anybody who's a baller, right? And there's not a pastor on the earth that has the ability to provide all of your spiritual nourishment once a week in a 30-minute sermon. It's just not possible. We have to be people that, that feed ourselves, right? But if you come in and you're thinking, man, I'm not getting fed, what that tell, tells me, and, and granted, maybe we have an off week, and that's totally possible, right, for sure. And we want to grow, and we want to improve and take critique and stuff like that. But if you're consistently complaining about not getting fed, then maybe you're coming in here with a posture of, I'm just here to consume. I'm just here to be served. And you're not serving me the way that I want to serve, or that I want to be served, right? And one of the best solutions for that is to make a disciple. It's to make a disciple. It's to pour out by making disciples alongside of us. Right? Because when you start coming along and saying, hey, I'm here to serve. I want to make disciples and be a part of what God is doing in this city. Then when you start making disciples, you start getting fed. You know why? Because you have to feed, feed yourself. It's sink or swim at that point. Right? Once you start to make disciples, you realize how inadequate you are and how much you need the gospel, how much you need scripture, how much time you need to spend before God asking him to move and asking him to just do things through you. So you're in the word and you're praying and you're feeding yourself because you don't have another option. So if you're coming in here, and again, I'm so glad that you're here. This isn't designed to be anybody else. This is just designed for us to kind of check out our hearts, right? But if you're coming in here and you're consistently complaining, and maybe this isn't you, but maybe it is, but you're complaining about not getting fed, I would say, one, you're probably looking to be served, and second, you're probably not making disciples. I would encourage you to step into what God is doing and to serve and to pour out because when we serve, we get fed. This is what happens. So my hope with these questions is not to beat anybody up, but it's to allow us to just kind of stop and take a look at our heart and say, how am I doing? What's my posture? What's my heart like? Am I walking in here week after week just thinking, man, you're not doing enough for me. You aren't meeting my needs the way that I want you to meet because the reality is the church is not an institution that exists to serve us. It's a gathering of believers that exist to serve, serve each other. My hope, my hope, my hope, my hope is that tonight we can we begin to make steps towards being a community that looks around and says, man, how can we meet needs? How, how can I love people well? How can I love the people in my home group? And how, how can I love people sitting next to me? What can we do to meet the needs in this room? And I have to believe that if we were a community that, that developed the posture of saying, hey, I don't want to be served. I want to serve. I want to pour out my life for the sake of the gospel. People in the city would take notice. They would, they would be shocked. They would look and say, those guys give body parts away. What? Right? Like, because that's, that's unheard of. That's, that, that doesn't happen. But if we became a community that rallied around and said, hey, man, how can I serve you? How can I meet your needs? Again, ironically, your needs are going to get met along the way. But I have to believe that your church experience would be so much more full, so much more vibrant, because it's not just about what you can get, what you can consume, but it's about what you can see God do through you. But it, but it begins with us asking, man, am I here to be served or to serve?
Let me pray. Father, I am, I know that for me, so much of my life has been spent being a consumer, Um, being someone who uh, doesn't feel like stepping outside myself, someone who who doesn't feel like um, doing anything costly. Father, for me specifically, I, I ask that you break me of that. I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to anybody else in here tonight, Father, and I I ask that you do a work in my heart just as you do a work in my brother's hearts and my sister's hearts in here. Would this be a a place where we are not reliant upon anybody to feed us or to minister to us, but we are relied upon you to feed us and equip us as we are serving, as we are pouring out, as we are stepping into your story of redeeming the world and especially the city of Fort Worth. So, Father, will you move us to action? Will will you compel us to be people who are open-handed, who are sacrificial for no other reason than the fact that we understand the gospel and that the truth of what you've done for us, the fact that you came and that you gave everything for us should move us to a place where we're, we're willing to give anything for anybody so that you may be glorified in this place. God, we love you so much. Soon, so let me pray. Amen.